so the uh, months of supply dipped down to about one. Wow. Uh, a little over one month of supply. Wow. Um, it's up now. Nationally? Yes, it's up now to two and a half. Welcome back to part two of our mini series where we are taking a look at the state of our economy today. If you missed part one, I do recommend going back and catching up on last week's episode. To recap, we introduced our guest, Molly Basil, and talked about how climbing interest rates and lack of inventory have, perhaps and probably, led to a surge in first-time homebuyers. Remember, if you want to know more about what is going on in the property market, be sure to follow us on social media using the handle at CoreLogic on Facebook and LinkedIn or at CoreLogic Inc. on Twitter and Instagram. You can also leave us questions and comments about the podcast on Apple Podcasts. Let's jump into it. You know, I think of where we are currently in our state of the world and with just with the recent collapse of Silicon Valley Bank, we are seeing that the interest rates are starting to decrease and we're starting to see a little bit better rates than we did even a couple of weeks ago, a month ago for sure. Um, is that now changing the number of, of home buyers that we're seeing? Are there more people jumping? Are people tracking it that closely that they're like, oh, rates are down now. Let me jump in and try and find a house now. Yeah, I, I think people are tracking it that closely. Mm -hmm. So, you know, mm -hmm. that's just so recent. We haven't been able to observe uh, any pickup yet in that. But when we look over periods of time, in the, even in the last six months, where rates have dipped yeah. just a little bit, you do see activity pick up a little bit. So you yeah. have, I think what I could um, call this is buyers kind of standing on the sidelines, just waiting mm -hmm. for rates to get to, you know, drop a little bit and then they could lock them in, you know, they've been searching for a home for a while and they're just, you know, wanting to get their, their, their rate locked in. They're going to find something to buy and then go for it. Um, yeah. yeah, you, you do have a lot of buyers uh, waiting for those lower rates. Wow. Uh, earlier you mentioned first time home buyers and how we were seeing, you know, a lot of first time home buyers kind of, you know, jumping into the market now. Um, are we seeing a difference between those first time home buyers versus repeat home buyers? Like, is it that first time home buyers really don't know any differently? Like they, they don't know what it's like to have a two and a half percent mortgage rate on their mortgage. So they're just jumping in. Um, do you have thoughts on that? Oh, well, there's, you know, there's a, there's a lot going on there with first time buyers. So one thing, um, to be a first time buyer, you don't have to sell a house, you know, mm. it's, it's really, once you point. Yep. got your down payment, you find your home, you get your loan secured, you know, you can move pretty quickly. So yeah. they're, um, they can, yeah, they can move quickly. They are somewhat attractive to sellers because Definitely. You know, they don't have any contingencies like that. So that's one thing with first time home buyers. Um, another thing is, well, I talked about the share of first time home buyers going up, but that's a share of a smaller set of home sales. <laughs> so, mm, you know, you think right? about, yep. um, you know, the first time buyers, like I said, it's a little lower. It's not easier, but it's, it's simplified process, I guess you could say. Not an easy mm -hmm. process, but less complicated for them. So they're participating in the market while repeat buyers are backing out a little bit. Sure. Yeah. Um, and then also, like you said, yep, they are seeing mortgage rates are up. They want to buy their home mm -hmm. uh, and they're not willing to wait three years till they go down. And, right. and, you know, honestly, how many I've been in this current home I'm in for um, more than two decades. 
Uh, <laughs> I, I bought it in. I don't know. I probably mentioned this on the last podcast. Yeah. But, you know, people forgot. So I've been in here <laughs> since 1999 and uh, I've probably had five different mortgages. So sure. never yeah. moved, but I've had several different mortgages because yeah. when I purchased back in 1999, um, rates were at about 8%. Wow. Um, yeah. And then they quickly fell to 6% and then they fell to 5%. And then, you know, a few years ago they fell to whatever, you know? So I yeah. think I'm one of those yeah. who had, who didn't refi in this last wave because, um, you know, I don't yeah. think it could get much lower, but you do mm -hmm. have the first time buyers who know, you know, rates are going to fall in a few years Yeah. and I'll just, I'll just eat it now. I'll mm -hmm. suck it up, make my payment now, and then I'll refinance later. Uh, and they'll yeah. have, probably have more equity, at least maybe sure. prices won't have increased by a lot, but they'll have the principal that they've paid in. So they'll have some equity mm -hmm. built up and it'll be much easier for them to refinance that loan. So they're looking at all those things. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And I think, you know, you're probably very common to most people who've been in their host homes two decades that they refi and have a number of mortgages on their house. Um, and it's funny because we, when we started looking for a new house, I had that exact same perspective, mostly because I talked to you and those in your office who told me like, no, 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 just get in and you could always refi, just eat it for the first couple of years. And then it's, it's, it can always, it's, it can always change. So I feel like, you know, I, I, went in to purchase a new home quite confidently, even at a really high, rel relatively high interest rate, um, because I knew it wasn't locked in forever. And there was the option to change. So I, uh, I do feel like I had a bit of the, you know, upper hand because I had you, you know, guiding me on that thought process. But um, and others... if they're lucky enough, maybe mortgage lenders will be running some kind of low cost refi program at some yeah, point. You know, definitely. I know. Yep. You know, that was one of my refis was kind of free, right? I don't know. I don't <laughs> I know how we looked yeah. into that. Yeah. But, you know, yeah. um, a lot of times the lenders will just to keep a borrower, mm -hmm. they'll make a refinance mm -hmm. uh, very low cost. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I'm, I'm glad you said that because that was something that I didn't anticipate. Um, and we kind of in the last wave of refi, we were an early refire um, because they offered us something free because I think they saw that this was going to decrease and that there were going to be a lot of options out there and they wanted us to stay with them. So we refinanced fairly early in the wave because they did it for free and there was no charge at us to do it. So there was really nothing to lose other than, you know, we're going to save a lot of money on our mortgage. Right. So you talked a little bit about inventory as well. And this is something, you know, the previous couple of times you've been here, we've always talked about inventory. Um, but I, as someone who's searching to purchase a home right now, there are fewer homes on the market. Like that's just an option. The house, we sold our house in a matter of seconds because there was very few homes on the market and we had a very nice looking home in a good neighborhood and there weren't a lot of those available. So boom, our house sold in 24 hours. Um, but yeah, can you just talk a little bit about like the number of homes in the market? Is there a regional? Are we seeing anything? Um, you know, what, what do we know about this lack of inventory? Yeah. So, you know, that's really been the problem plaguing the mm. um, housing market for years. So going into, you know, prior to the pandemic, um, inventory was incredibly low. We we kind of like to look at it as um, a measure called months of supply. So if okay. you had all the supply out there, how many months would it take to sell? Oh, okay. okay. So like a, a good number, you know, kind of where it's 
uh, maybe balanced, I guess, um, would be maybe between four and seven months supply okay. around there. Um, so going into the pandemic, there was like less than four months supply. So it was already tight. And then mm -hmm. you have the pandemic mm -hmm. and then sellers kind of don't want people in their homes. So they take them off the right. market. So there's, you know, less inventory there. So the inventory is crunched even more. And then you had um, this buying boom, <laughs> you know, or like a housing boom, I guess you could say, um, uh, uh, you know, when mortgage rates were really low and everybody's to grab onto that mortgage rate and get in a lot of first-time home buyers getting their first home that um and then on a limited supply so they're sucking up the supply so you, you know they're taking it off the market so we had supply or the uh months of supply dipped down to you know about one uh, wow. one month of supply wow um, nationally now yes it's yeah. up now to two and a half so you know we're slowly getting yeah. back up there but the problem with you know, the months of supply now is that we are having seen a lot of new listings come on the market. Right. Um, so, but things are still selling really, really fast. Like you said, you sold yours in less than a day. Um, mm -hmm. On average, nationally, uh, it's uh, a less than a month um, on, yeah. a, on average before home sale. Wow. Yeah, that's quick. Um, how does new construction fit into this as well, too, with the inventory? I know you and I talked, I think it was the first time you were on this podcast, we talked about the impact of because of inflation and the cost of labor and, and lumber supplies, how there was fewer new construction as well. Like, how does the new construction fit into that number of months of inventory? Exactly. Yes. Yeah. So uh, new builds are very important <laughs> to the, yeah. the inventory situation and there really hasn't been enough of it you know you have like we said last time we talked it was costs of you know cost of supplies mm -hmm. um, cost of labor speaking of construction material costs according to CoreLogic's march construction cost update nearly three quarters of the tracked u.s construction material costs are up on a year-over-year -year basis and the annual average increase in material costs is 4.7 percent in Canada, 93% of materials have seen price increases year over year, and the annual average increase in material costs is 9.4%. You know, but even if all that eases, land is very expensive. So what sure. ends up happening hard to come is by. hard to come by, right? So what ends up happening is when you have new builds, they're at a really, they're kind of like, I'm not going to say luxury, mm -hmm. but they're at the higher end. Yeah. Right. Because it takes so much, you, you know, the land costs a lot and then the labor mm -hmm. and all the supplies and everything. So by the time for the builder to make much money off of that new build. Right. Uh, and, you know, new builds have um, more regulations, you know, safety. Sure. Um, yeah. You know, fire building codes are stronger. Building yeah. codes, all of that. So that's expensive yeah. as well. I mean, for good reason, you have these regulations. Absolutely. But that does yeah. add to the cost. So they do end up being right. like the higher end of the market. So what ends up happening is you get more inventory at the higher end. And mm. you're not getting a lot at the middle and the kind of the entry level part of the market. Gotcha. So that's yeah. where we're really... Um, you know, we're lacking supply all around, but we're really lacking kind of on the entry level. Sure. And the other thing, you know, I'd kind of add to that is, in my experience, many of these new builds are not in the best neighborhoods, because there already are homes in the best neighborhoods. So right, right. you end up paying a premium for these high quality or brand new homes that are in the not the most desirable neighborhood. So then that's or hard too also, to justify. Right. Yeah. 
yeah, or further away from further you know, away. Yep. Not, I don't know. Does anybody go to the office anymore? I'm not sure, but <laughs> you know, say somebody needs to go to an office or they want to be close to us, yeah. us, a city yeah. center for yeah. the amenities walkable, and all of that. Walkable to walkable. amenities, walkable to town. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So it's going to be further from that. It's going to be a drive. And mm-hmm. then that adds to the expense. Yeah. Hey, gas prices are high. Um, you know, right. that adds to a lot, um, you know, for where you're able to build the new homes. Exactly. Yeah, definitely. Markets aren't the only things that have been volatile this spring. So too has natural disaster activity. Spring is usually a busy time for natural catastrophes. Storms abound as winter changes to summer and insurers are gearing up for hurricane and wildfire season. Most notably, this spring saw a slew of hail and tornadoes hitting the central U.S., putting billions of dollars worth of properties at risk of damage, which the CoreLogic Hazard HQ Command Central team reported on. And storms weren't just confined to the middle of North America. If you missed our podcast on the California floods, go back and listen to episodes 56 and 57. What was it really like to live through the California floods? Our team spills. Not quite weather-related, but also noteworthy, were the two devastating earthquakes that caused widespread destruction in southern Turkey and northern Syria this past February. However, while the damage was significant, only a fraction of the buildings in the area were insured, and the team did an analysis of what that means for the insurance industry on HazardHQ.com. And that's the Natural Disaster Digest. Okay, Molly, last question would be if you had to pull out that crystal ball, you know, anything else that we should keep our eye on that might be on the horizon for the next couple of months or even year in the housing market? So, yeah, I would think, wow, that is a real tough one. Okay, I know, you know, I knew you were going to ask me this question. (laughs) What should we look at in the housing market? I think look what's happening with um, prices. Uh, and mm. see if they, you know, the CoreLogic price index is that uh, home prices are kind of flat for 2023 on average, mm-hmm. but that's not flat across the nation, right? So mm-hmm. look at to where um, prices are declining. Um, you know, some parts of the West, like I said, sales are down a lot. So prices are declining there, even on an annual basis. But I think look at to prices, like where is that floor going to be in prices? Sure. I think once okay. we hit that floor in prices, you know, you'll probably get uh, buyers more comfortable with coming back into the market, mm-hmm. you know, or, you know, some buyers are already here, but you get more buyers comfortable coming in the market because they've seen we've hit that floor. And then you'll have sellers saying, you know, hey, I know now we've hit the floor. We're not going to necessarily keep going down from here. So, you know, I'll be more yeah. comfortable selling my home. So I think look yeah. for that. And once we can see that, I think that's when we'll see this kind of um, transition. I know as I gave a talk last week and I said, it's a transition year, right? And they mm-hmm. want to know a transition mm-hmm. to what? And I said, something better, right? <laughs> so more sales. So once we kind of see things bottom out, then we can start to see uh, the market improve a bit. Well, as somebody that's currently trying to buy a new home, I'm ready for the transition to something better. So exactly. thank you, Molly. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks so much for joining me again. And we will definitely have you back here on Core Conversations, a CoreLogic podcast. Great. Thank you. And thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed our latest episode. Please remember to leave us a review and let us know your thoughts and subscribe wherever you get your podcast to be notified when new episodes are released. And thanks to the team for helping bring this podcast to life. Producer Jesse Devenins, editor and sound engineer Romeo Roman, our fax guru Erica Stanley, and social media duo Sarah Buck and Michaela Brooks. Tune in next time for another core conversation. <laughs>